0: Hello and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or a former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her Particular occupation. Hello. In this episode, we are honored to have Catherine Neff, also known as Katie Neff, as our special guest. Our topic today is one that is of great interest to employees who are terminated or laid off, or employees that are fearful of a termination or layoff and want to prepare. For a possible period of unemployment. That topic is severance pay and it's also known as separation pay. I asked Katie to be on the show today because she is an expert in reviewing, evaluating, and negotiating severance agreements for all types of employees. Katie received her undergraduate degree in business administration from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and returned to Cincinnati where she received her Juris Doctor or Law degree from the University of Cincinnati College of Law. Katie advocates for current and former employees in all aspects of employment law and has successfully represented employees in jury trials in both state and federal courts In Ohio, Katie is a 2017 graduate of the Cincinnati Academy of Leadership for Lawyers, a special program for lawyers recognized as leaders in the community, and she is co-chair of the Cincinnati Employment Lawyers Association and a member of the National and Ohio Employment Lawyers Associations. Katie, welcome to Freaking Out About Work. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, Katie Neff. Uh, Severance pay is our focus today because of the importance of that bridge that is sometimes needed for an employee to help them get from one employer to the next employer. If you have been laid off or let go to the, due to reasons that had nothing to do with your work performance, or even if your work performance did contribute to you losing your job, you may be wondering how severance pay actually works, or more accurately, when you get it and how much you get. There are no black and white answers, and in fact, the rules surrounding this post-employment compensation. Are rarely standard. And like other aspects of employment law, most employees have heard of the concept of severance pay, but really have no understanding of when severance pay applies and what a severance package should include. I invited Katie today because she has negotiated hundreds of severance agreements during her career in Cincinnati. And she exclusively represents employees who have problems during their career or employees who lose their jobs. So, uh, Katie, are you willing to share some of your knowledge today and perhaps a few of your secrets? Absolutely. All right. Well, Katie, let's start with some of the basics. Are all employees who lose their jobs entitled by some law to severance pay?
1: No, they're not. You are legally just entitled to pay through your last day of work. The only time anyone uh, may be entitled to severance pay is if there's a plant closing. Uh, and typically, that's just 60 days of pay. Otherwise, it's totally discretionary. And in the uh, because we are in uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, which has resulted in some plant closures. Uh, I just want to clarify that the 60 days of pay for plant closures falls under um, a statute called the WARN Act, Um, but unfortunately, because this COVID-19 epidemic um, was caused by circumstances that were not reasonably foreseeable to most employers, uh, a lot of employees, Um, are not entitled to that 60 days of pay that they otherwise may have been entitled to Um, uh, because of that. We've had a lot of questions about that lately uh, due to the significant amount of uh, layoffs and plant closures that are happening right now.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, so if an employer is not required to offer separation pay, uh, why do they do it?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, You know, Often employers have an interest in uh, trying to help their employees um, have a little bit of money to try to connect them from uh, point A to point B or to their next job. Um, The other reason, though, is um, most severance agreements include a release of claims within them. And so the employer has an interest in having the employee Sign a release of claims, releasing any uh, of the possible claims that might have come up um, during their
0: employment with that employer. Is that relatively common? They have a release of claims attached to a severance offer? Yeah, I would definitely say it's more
1: common uh, than not. Uh, so, more often, you're going to see a severance agreement will, that will include a release of claims.
0: Okay. And uh, what about the tax consequence of? severance pay, is it taxable and is included in your W-2, 1099 form, something like that? Yeah, typically severance pay is taxable um,
1: because severance is supposed to represent lost wages. Uh, So um, usually if you are a W-2 employee and you're receiving a severance Offer from your employer, you're gonna. Um, it will be taxed, and you will receive a W-2 for that amount at the end, or the, at the beginning of the next year.
0: Is that well known? You think with uh, former employees, do they expect it to be taxed, or are they thinking somehow it's a tax-free matter with severance?
1: Um, I, I don't think they're super surprised that it's taxed. Often, it may depend on how it's paid. You know, some employers will pay it out over time as if um, you're continuing to receive uh, your paycheck. Um, so I think it's it's for those employees who are receiving that kind of severance, I don't think they're too surprised because again, it's what would typically be with their paycheck. Um, I think when it comes to severance agreements that might be negotiated. So uh, perhaps one that uh, wasn't offered when the employee was terminated and is later negotiated. That, I think, employees are more surprised that there is a taxable portion uh, or that the, um, if not the entire amount, most of the amount is taxed as wages. Certainly, that is something that can be negotiated by an attorney um, to try to help um, have some of it be taxed as wages, which would be your typical federal and state and local taxes removed. Um, And then some of it taxed for emotional distress damages. Certainly, anytime somebody loses their job, there's a significant emotional distress that can happen. Um, And while that is still taxed, it's taxed uh, a little differently.
0: Okay. And how much uh, severance pay do employers typically offer? And how is it determined?
1: yeah, that varies. Um, there are all um, each employer might have a different um, amount that they would offer their employees, but commonly, the amount of severance is tied to the employee's years of service. For example, an an employer may pay two weeks of severance for every year of service. Um, sometimes employers will have caps on that, for example, um, the cap may be 26 weeks of severance. So if you are a you know, 26 year employee, um, you may still be capped at 26 weeks of severance, even if you otherwise would be um, under the formula paid 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of employers have written policies uh, or plans um, with severance and that are sometimes available to employees ahead of time. So it might be something that even if you're a current employee, you may want to check with your employer now to see if they have a written plan document about their severance.
0: Yes, we talked about whether employers are required to pay severance. I guess in the situation where an employer actually has a formal severance pay plan, in that situation, the employee may be, quote unquote, entitled to severance.
1: That's, that's absolutely true. Um, how, how much, um, you know, sort of what the eligibility requirements are, are going to be determined by that plan. Uh, so that's certainly something that employees can inquire about while they're still employed to see if their employer does have that plan.
0: Now, um, these formulas that are capped at 26 weeks, that seems a little bit unfair to the longer tenured employees who are typically going to be older. Yeah. um, If you've been with a company for 30 years, you get a max of 26 weeks and it's two weeks per year of service. So you're going to get the same thing as somebody who's only been there for 13 years, but there's really nothing you can do about that.
1: Um, Well, you might be able to negotiate that. Certainly. Mm -hmm um you know uh if if they're due you know certainly if there's something that the employer is doing that isn't you know uh disproportionately impacting a class or group of employees uh, that could be discriminatory that could be something that uh, an attorney could look into uh, to determine if there is uh, a problem Um, having a uh, a cap i think in just In and of itself, it's probably not um, discriminatory or illegal, but uh, it's certainly something, a good reason why you may want to have a severance agreement reviewed by an attorney.
0: Okay. So if an employee uh, is laid off and they receive some kind of severance offer from their employer, what would you tell her about whether she should have that agreement reviewed by an employment attorney?
1: I would say um, it's. Definitely something I would recommend any uh, employee who receives a severance agreement uh, to do. Most severance agreements include language in them um, telling the employee to have it reviewed by an attorney. So it's really a good idea uh, for a number of reasons um, to have an attorney review it. It's, It's possible that the employer has. Tasked a member of management or HR to draft the agreement, um, and perhaps they include terms in there that could be problematic that need to be removed. So it's good to have an attorney take a look at it uh, for that reason. There, There could also be situations, I've certainly heard this happen frequently, where either the HR representative or a manager, when notifying the employee that their employment is being terminated, and then offering them severance, will say things like, if you sign this, we won't contest your unemployment benefits. Yet there's no reference to that in the severance agreement. And so certainly, if the employee relies on that representation, ultimately signs the severance agreement, and for some reason, whether it's a miscommunication Mm -hmm. or intentionally, the employer ends up contesting unemployment benefits, um, that employee, um, there really isn't much recourse that employee has because they've signed a contract um, which didn't have those terms in there. So I think those are those are just some examples of reasons why you should have an attorney review it. But I, I definitely think um, it's it's what what
0: employees should do. Now, now, Katie, in your experience, are these agreements relatively straightforward? Or are there things in a typical severance agreement that are surprises or they're unexpected for the employee? I would not call them
1: um straightforward at all, although you know because we've um because I've seen them um our office sees them uh often you know a lot of the terms are very standard um however um they can be very confusing to people they seem to be they're very one-sided so uh, the employer seems to be getting away with with a lot in them Um, and a lot of times they are drafted by attorneys um, and there's a lot of legal language in there that can be very confusing for employees Um, some surprises that i have seen Uh, In the, or I've seen employees have with these agreements are um, one-sided non-disparagement agreements, which is essentially where the agreement will say, the severance agreement will say um, that the employee cannot say anything negative about the employer, but it doesn't have the mutual non-disparagement, meaning that the employer will not say anything negative about the employee. Another clause that I've seen employees question is the no rehire clause, which is also common. um, And it'll say in there that the employee agrees never to apply for a job with this particular employer or often any of its affiliates um, ever again. Um, And that often is one I've seen questions about.
0: Now, why would an employer put something in there like that, that you can't reapply for a job?
1: Yeah, the employer includes this language um, because it's trying to protect itself. So even when an employee is leaving for uh, an economic reason, perhaps, and not a um, for-cause reason, so even if the employer likes that employee and, and tells the employee they want they would keep them if they could. Um, the reason why this language is included in there is because most severance agreements will have a release of claims in them. And by signing that agreement and releasing claims, that employee is saying, I'm not going to sue you. If, for example, um, they don't have that no re- co- rehire clause in there, and there's a job posting that comes up in the next two, three, four, six months, that employee applies for it um, and is not hired, then the employee could assert failure to hire claims, whether that's you know something, some kind of discrimination or retaliation. And so the employer is trying to avoid that subsequent liability.
0: Right. And I guess in that situation, can the employee, even though they've said they won't apply or reapply for a job, they can, but it just gives the employer an out in refusing their application? Absolutely. Because obviously yeah. the employer could waive that provi- If they really like you, and even though you've signed some kind of form language, they could always waive it essentially.
1: They definitely can. And I have actually seen that happen a, a few times where they have that no rehire language in there and then have thought... Um, out that employee and ask them to come back. So absolutely, it can be waived.
0: Now, you mentioned these non-disparagement clauses uh, where the employer uh, asks the employee not to say anything bad about the company. And you're saying that the employee should get a the same provision from the employer, not to disparage them or criticize them. But I hear from a lot of people that an employer is not able to give much in terms of an employment reference. Like there a lot of people think that an employer can only give dates of employment, last position, maybe last salary. Is that accurate? Um, not in Ohio. Um,
1: there could be some states that are different than this, but uh, in Ohio for sure. An employer is permitted to provide the reason why the employee is no longer there. There's nothing that prohibits them from saying, for example, that the employee was laid off or saying that the employee was
0: terminated for cause. Okay. And and, and are these severance agreements negotiable at all? Absolutely. Um, they are
1: negotiable. Sometimes it, it might just be on those non-monetary terms that that you're referencing, Randy. So, changing that non-disparagement language to make sure that employers are also agreeing uh, not to say anything negative about an employee, you can you can uh, negotiate um, within the agreement itself. Uh, a clause about what the employer will specifically say Mm -hmm. to a Mm -hmm. prospective employer who calls. That sounds like Um, a good idea. Yep. Um, And then, you know, letters of reference, um, those are frequently not included in standard language uh, within a severance agreement. Um, But particularly when there's a layoff, that might be something an employer is willing to, uh, to negotiate on and provide that will just help that employee, uh, find, um, other work quicker. Right. And then the amount amount of severance may also be negotiable. Um, certainly, you know, depending upon, um, whether or not there's legal claims also depending upon whether the employer has offered a small amount of severance for a long-term employee. Um, there, there are, often chances to actually negotiate on the on the monetary amount as well.
0: So an employee that comes and consults with you is not necessarily going to hire you to file a lawsuit. Can they can they they can just hire you on kind of limited terms to try to negotiate this because a lot of people do not want to get involved in a lawsuit.
1: Definitely. And you know, when an employer has offered a severance uh, agreement, um, there are um, many ways to try to negotiate that that would allow that employee to um, either get some severance that is more reasonable or get some of these non-monetary terms. One that I failed to mention earlier that's important is um, changes with respect to unemployment. So if there is a monetary amount that the employer is offering, That may have an impact on um, unemployment, and there's a, uh, in terms of how much unemployment the employee can receive. And there's an opportunity there, um, in Ohio in particular, to change some language so that that employee can get both the monetary severance and the uh, keep their unemployment at the same time. Um, So, absolutely, it, it, most of my clients don't end up in litigation. And uh, so often there is room for negotiating on the severance agreements uh, that can either help that employee get from point A to point B by getting them a job quicker, um, Mm -hmm. by getting a letter of reference, for example, uh, and or getting them some more severance so that um, they have a, a little bit more of a cushion before they have to find another job.
0: Well, yeah. Speaking of trying to find another job, Is it very common for employers to offer some form of outplacement assistance uh, in order to help the person find a new job? Or is that typically just in agreements you see from larger companies?
1: I would say that is more common for a larger company that may already have a um, contract with an outplacement agency. However, that is something that could potentially be negotiated where um the employee is asking for some additional compensation or some additional money monetary amount so that they can use that money to hire their own job coach. Um which unemployment does have some resume assistance and job coaching and and for some employees mm-hmm. that may be all you need. But for others, um particularly long-term uh, employees um, in uh, perhaps management-type positions, it might be helpful to have uh, an actual job coach to kind of help you figure out how to sell yourself to uh, the next employer. And so what I've seen maybe with a smaller employer or one that didn't offer training or um, Outplacement services is where we can negotiate. Maybe that employer pays the employee X amount of dollars so that they can use that to select their own coach or their own job placement organization.
0: Because I imagine that's not cheap. I mean, it's not a few hundred dollars, right? It's got to be a few thousand dollars or more to have a good outplacement service help you or a job coach.
1: Yeah, I'm um, my guess is that it's somewhere between three and five thousand. Do
0: that right, so that's that'd be pretty beneficial, it would seem, for most people. Well, I, I like, I think, like you say, longer term employees and maybe employees that are fired for work performance reasons or other cause, they need to figure out a way to sell the fact that they were terminated, separated. Despite all that, they've got to figure out some way to kind of wordsmith that, absolutely. Now, how about, you You mentioned um, they're often given some time to review the agreement. Is, is there a lot of time pressure to negotiate these when you're hired, or can you get extensions?
1: Um, usually, uh, we can get an extension. Um, the typical agreement, um, although this is not always the case, but the typical agreement may have a 21-day time period for the employee to review it. Or 45 days if there's been a reduction in force or layoff. And But in my experience, when you ask the employer to extend the, the time to consider it, they will do that, at least for a period of time. Maybe not indefinitely, but at least for right. maybe a, w- a week or two.
0: <laughs> now, why would the employer extend the deadline? Don't they want to keep the pressure on the employee to sign the document?
1: They do want to keep the pressure on, which is why they may not extend it indefinitely. But, um, but at the same time, they want that employee to sign the release of claims. So as I mentioned earlier, um, in response to your question about why uh, employers offer severance, this is one of those big reasons is because they want that employee to release all claims so that they don't have to worry about the employee possibly suing them in the future.
0: Right. I, I guess they, they really want your John, John Hancock on that or your Jane Hancock, as they say. Uh, Katie, I, I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about how much pay people get in severance offers, what happens to their health insurance? Are they immediately cut off or is that typically some kind of extension offered?
1: Um, It can depend on the employer. Um, Most employers will keep the employee on the health insurance at least through the end of the month. Some employers will offer to extend the health insurance for maybe another 30 days or so. Um, And then in the instances where a employer is offering severance that extends beyond four weeks, for example, uh, the the employer may offer to pay the employer's portion of COBRA benefits during the period of severance. So, for example, when an employee is offered 26 weeks of severance, the employer may offer to pay the employer's premium um, through that period of severance. So, for approximately six months, the employer will pay. Let's say their premium is around, um, the employer's portion of the premium is around $400 a month. They'll pay that $400 per month for the six month period. That is not as common, certainly, uh, but it it is something that can be negotiated, particularly when you have an employee who's not able to get health insurance benefits through a spouse.
0: And what about COBRA? You mentioned COBRA. Let's say an employer does not. Offer to pay anything for health insurance, and they they immediately cut somebody off. Can the terminated employee obtain a continuation of health insurance?
1: Yes, through um, through COBRA. So the employee, um, if their health insurance benefits are cut off, will receive a notice describing how they can continue their coverage, um, and. Essentially, I believe it's 101% of the premium. So it includes both what the employer was paying for that coverage and what the employee was paying through their paycheck um, for coverage. So unfortunately, it can be pretty expensive. So it, the, it might be $800 a month total in a COBRA premium that an employee may have to pay to continue their health insurance benefits.
0: Yeah, or a lot more for a family, I suppose.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think 800 is probably more consistent with a single um, coverage. With, with family, it could be twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a month.
0: And is that something an employee has to worry about right away? Do they have time to kind of think about whether or not they can afford the Cobra?
1: Yes, they do have time. the um, The employer has a certain amount of time uh, to get the notice to the employee. And then once the employee receives that notice, I believe it's 60 days for the employee to um, sign up for the coverage and pay the premium. So, and and the employee also has the option of, um, you know, they can continue the same level of coverage they had before. So for example, if they had a family plan, they can continue that or they can go down to a single plan. Um, So they'll have the option of, of, of doing that if, for example, they have family members who can get on another uh, health insurance plan to help defray the
0: cost. Okay. So you talked about these non-economic terms like the letter of reference potentially and the agreement not to disparage the employee in their job search. How important are those kind of terms relative to the money? That they're offering, in other words, if somebody has a choice between taking a lot of money or getting some of these non-economic terms, is there one right answer?
1: There's not really one right answer. Every situation is going to be different. For some employees, these non-economic terms may be much more important than economic terms um, or than getting additional severance and. Some And part of that could be um, if they know that they're going to be able to get another job um, or if they think they will be able to get another job with having, for example, a letter of reference or ensuring that the employer is not saying anything negative about them. Um, And one term we haven't talked about that sometimes um, an employee may have before they receive the severance agreement or perhaps it's included in the severance agreement is a non-compete A a non compete. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, how those work. I mean, if you get fired, aren't you out of your non compete? I wish. um, (laughs) I I wish that were true.
1: Unfortunately, um, this is also something that's not black and white, as you said. Um, So, generally speaking, I would say um, if the severance agreement includes a reference to the non-competition agreement which probably most do um, then uh, you know that that employee is um, going to still be obligated to the non-competition agreement even if they sign a new severance agreement with the employer um, if there's no severance agreement there's in back to your original question there i it's still just by getting terminated, usually your non-compete is still um, enforceable. Although again, it's probably, um, it's probably negotiable and it will depend on the terms of the non-compete.
0: Hmm. Okay. So let's get back to some cold, hard cash. You know, when we talk about the severance amount, how does that affect your ability to collect unemployment compensation?
1: So, I want to talk a little bit about Ohio and Kentucky because they're a little different. So
0: in well, they, Kentucky, well, they are a little bit different, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: So in Kentucky, unemployment um, does not consider severance, uh, what's called a deductible source of income, which means the employee can receive the severance or collect the severance and collect unemployment.
0: So you can double-dip in Kentucky. (laughs)
1: You you can essentially double-dip in Kentucky with severance. (laughs) Okay. How about Ohio? Yeah. In Ohio, the severance is, um, unfortunately, is considered a deductible source of income. However, Ohio does allow the employer to essentially agree um, to... That To agree that the severance will not be deducted from the unemployment compensation amount, it's it's kind of a convoluted thing, but employers essentially um, need to check a box when they're responding to unemployment and need to include some language in the severance agreement, which confirms that um, they're essentially asking Ohio not to consider the severance as a deductible source of income, which would allow the employee to get both. Severance and unemployment.
0: Okay, and we we talked a little about reductions in force and layoffs that are somewhat more common, it seems, these days. How about employees who are terminated for cause? You know, they're accused of some kind of wrongdoing, or they're accused of bad work performance. Is it possible to negotiate the amount of severance pay even in those circumstances?
1: Definitely, um, employers will. Um, Obvious, you know, they will offer severance um, associated with layoffs sometimes. Again, it's not required other than what we talked about earlier. Um, They also will offer severance when uh, an employee may be terminated for performance or some other alleged for cause reasons uh, or reason. And um, in that instance, it still is negotiable. Obviously, it's going to depend upon uh, the case by case basis. Certainly the non-monetary terms uh, that we talked about earlier, the non-disparagement is even more critical when the employee's been terminated for um, performance or some other alleged cause. Um, A letter of reference might be even more important in that circumstance. Changing the termination to a resignation or layoff um, when somebody's been terminated for cause is also important. And those things are important for getting that employee from point A to point B to their next job. But monetarily, there's also room for negotiating, particularly if um, you can allege a, a possible discrimination claim or a retaliation claim um, along with the, um, when we're trying to negotiate. So if if you have a good claim for discrimination or retaliation, then um, that will often correspond with being able to get some more monetary um, amount in terms of severance.
0: Okay. And you mentioned language in a typical agreement often includes a recommendation or a statement that the employee can have a lawyer review the agreement. Yes. Why would an employer put that in a severance agreement? That Seems to help the employee rather than help the employer, right? Um, there's a federal
1: statute called the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act or OWBPA for short that um, was created to protect uh, employees over the age of 40 whenever they're asked to sign a release of claims, um, in that according to the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act, um, the employer is required to instruct the employee or recommend to the employee that they should have a lawyer review the agreement. So most employers, even when the person's not over 40, most employers have just include that language in every severance agreement that they offer. Otherwise, according to the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act, um, if that employee who's over 40 signs the agreement, it it arguably would not be considered a valid release of claims if it didn't include that language about having an, a
0: lawyer review it. Okay. We briefly touched about non, non-competes. Uh, what if an employee has a non-compete and it's not even referenced in the separation agreement? Is this an opportunity at all for a lawyer to perhaps negotiate the original non-compete?
1: yes, um, it it would be. Um, there's also the possibility if if the severance the severance agreement includes some language in it uh, indicating that this that the severance agreement is the entire agreement of the employees, and it doesn't reference or incorporate the non-compete. Um, this is a great time to make sure you have an attorney review the severance agreement because it could be a situation where by signing the severance, you may, um, you may be essentially replacing the non-compete so the non-compete no longer exists. So, um, so, yes, and then with respect to non-competes that are incorporated into the agreement, this is, that is also something that can be uh, negotiated. Um, it, in terms of the time can be reduced, sometimes we're able to negotiate a complete um, elimination of the non-competition agreement, um, or maybe, change it from a non-competition agreement to perhaps a non-solicitation agreement, which applies specifically to trying to solicit customers um, or employees of the company. Um, This is non-competes if they're in the severance agreements or if they're not included in the severance agreements. That is is definitely one area um, that an employee should have an attorney review it because that is something Mm -hmm. that can be uh, negotiated at the end of the employment.
0: Right. And, you know, we've talked about these uh, separation offers. Is this a large part of your practice or a small part of your practice? I know you work a lot, probably 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Any idea how much of your practice deals with the whole idea of trying to negotiate separation agreements or severance agreements for employees?
1: Uh, I would say at least probably 80%. (laughs) It's a lot of what I do. (laughs)
0: They're, they're pretty common when people get fired, they're going to get a severance offer unless they've done something pretty egregious.
1: Yeah. Either they're going to get a severance offer or we are, um, trying to get an employer to put a severance offer on the table. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty common in my, in my practice. Uh, to be reviewing, advising, and or negotiating on these severance agreements.
0: Okay. Katie Neff, I guess we could spend a lot more time on this topic, but I think you've covered pretty much of the waterfront today. Uh, I guess we could say it's been a lot of fun. It's a serious topic, uh, but I've enjoyed chatting with you about this important topic. I hope our listeners enjoyed the discussion and we'll spread the word about the podcast. In any event, thank you for taking the time today, Katie, and have a great rest of the week.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Turkle that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread for recognition as well as cash for astonishment rather than apathy in short for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work, and please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com and freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.